The epistle is written in the fourth chapter of Romans, beginning at the first verse until the fifth, and picking it up again from the 13th until the 17th. I'll read it through. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offsprings received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Here endeth the epistle. The Holy Gospel is written in the third chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. 
How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to thee, O Christ. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you. Amen. Well, do please be seated. I was on a training course this week for new incumbents being told of all the things that I should be doing as a vicar and having the opportunity to present all the issues arising from my problem congregations. I'm only kidding, don't worry. We ate, um, we ate together in a small dining hall and our group was split onto two tables. And I had one of those moments. I don't know whether you've ever had them. Um, I was on the smaller table chatting to two others, listening to somebody regaling me with stories of a nightmare church warden. And as I was internally praising God for the church wardens we have here, my attention was caught by the conversation at the next door table. They were talking about something far more appealing, far more fun, exciting, and infuriatingly attractive. And I was stuck. I was stuck listening to the litany of woes when there was something tantalizing and exciting about the stories being told in the conversation next door. It was infuriatingly attractive and just out of my reach. Well, I think the same is happening in this passage from John's Gospel. It's as though we're listening in to the possibility of something far better. Jesus, the itinerant preacher, has just caused a major stir, having cleared the temple in the previous chapter. And so Nicodemus, the representative of the religious elite, the one who stands for doctrinal orthodoxy, the very essence of power and authority, approaches Jesus. Rabbi, we know that That's how he starts. He isn't dismissive in his approach, but he's clearly speaking on behalf of his establishment friends. We know that you come from God. And I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for the but. It never comes. To his credit, Nicodemus knows that Jesus has got something. He comes at night as if he's still in the dark. 
even though he recognizes that Jesus comes from God. It's as if he's on the adjacent table, tantalizingly close to the main event, straining to listen in on the laughter on the table next door, but just out of reach. Nicodemus comes armed with honest questions, but Jesus pulls the rug from under his feet in a single sentence. That's the trouble with drifting politely into church each week, however good-willed that may be. Jesus one day pulls the rug from under us and grabs our attention with something he says or does. How does he pull the rug? Well, there's a shocking statement, a powerful ultimatum, and a vital matter. Let's look at the shocking statement, verse 3. I tell you the truth. This is for real, says Jesus. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now this is a powerful man, a religious big shot, a council member, and he's left powerless. The man who came along to talk about miracles is told, you need one. This is a shocking reply. There is a kingdom of God, there is a spiritual life, but you won't see it, Nicodemus, unless you're born again. Of all the loaded terms to use, why does Jesus use born again? It isn't a 20th century American term. It's a first century Jewish one. You may think it's slightly fanatical, reserved for the few slight oddballs. But Jesus says it's available for everyone. When I was in Bristol, I remember going to watch a school touch rugby game that my eldest was playing in. There on the sidelines, it emerged to one of the parents that I was the one. I was the vicar who was the dad of one of the boys. And so he sidled up to me. So you're one of those happy, clappy, born-again types, are you? Or are you more of a candles and communion man? I paused for a moment, wondering how to respond. Great question, I said. I'm not really sure how to describe myself. The trouble is that many people in church differ over whether to use candles or how often to have communion. But being born again, that's essential. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. It's a must. It isn't the language of the school report. You could do better. You must try harder. It's about being born again. Not moral reform, but new life. And Jesus says to enter it, you don't need to turn over a new leaf, but you need to start out on a new life. So then comes the impossible ultimatum. Nicodemus asks the obvious question, how do you start out on a new life? How can you be born again if you're old? I don't know if you've ever thought what you would do with your life if you could live it again. There's nothing more dull, is there, than somebody who says, I wouldn't change a thing. Nothing? Really? Either you're a fool and don't realize the mistakes you've made, or you've no capacity for creativity whatsoever. If I could live my life again, I would have been on the rugby field yesterday afternoon. I would have had all kinds of adventures. The poet John Clare 
says this in one of his poems. If life had a second edition, how I would correct the proofs. How can we have our time again? How can life have a second edition? Well, Jesus gives an impossible ultimatum. He says it's outside of human possibility, but it is possible with God. So verse 5, I tell you the truth. You can't pull it off yourself, but spirit gives birth to spirit. God's spirit gives God's life. You need to be born again or born from above. You need God's life to enter God's kingdom. Then in verse 7, he tells Nicodemus that this shouldn't be a surprise. After all, it's all over the scriptures. It's what God has promised all along. I wonder if Nicodemus thought back to Ezekiel where God says, one day I'll sprinkle clean water. I'll give new life to my people. Or that valley of dry bones and the breath of the Spirit of God which gives life to those bones. And so it turns out that this Pharisee, this defender of the faith, doesn't even understand his own scriptures. We may not be able to see new birth or know the exact time and date of when it happens, but we can see its impact. Perhaps you've seen it in yourself or in others, suddenly able to say sorry when you couldn't before an increase in your patience, an increase in your love for others. You see, this is God's work. This notion of being born again can lead to a nasty arrogance for some Christians, but only when we forget that this is God's work and not ours. I can't earn it for myself or for anyone else. Sorry, Nicodemus, you can't book your place in the kingdom of God. Unless you are born from above, you won't see the kingdom. This is humbling enough for the self-sufficient to cry out for a miracle, isn't it? And Jesus rubs it in a bit more in verse 10. You are the teacher of Israel. You're the Regis professor of theology. And you still don't get it. This is the impossible ultimatum. You must be born again. But it's also a vital matter. How vital is it? Well, I hope you heard the urgency in the story. Verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's there again in verse 5. In verse 7, you must. You see, this is not my particular hobby horse. This is Jesus speaking in a very clear way. We won't make the kingdom of God any other way. So he winds up his conversation with Nicodemus by reminding him of a story in scriptures. Verse 14, when the people of God wandered across the desert, people were dying, snake bites all over the place, no hospitals on hand, no hope. They wouldn't make the promised land, just as Nicodemus wouldn't make the kingdom of God. So under God's instruction, Moses put up a bronze snake on a pole, and the deal is this, look on it and you will live. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, the miracle you need is similar. Jesus must also be lifted up on a cross. This is your chance of life so God can become a reality to you. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. 
To be born again is beyond us. It's God's work. But here Jesus promises eternal life to all who believe him. So what do I do? Jesus says, look to me. Trust in me. Believe in me. This isn't exclusive. Jesus is trying to be inclusive. Look at verse 15 and 16. All, whoever. Nobody here has missed out. The cost is all at God's end. Heartbroken in life, he gives up his only son for us. It's a desperate situation. You need to be born again, says Jesus. So look to me, trust in me. I've done all that is required. And if your response sitting here today is, well, I'm not that desperate. Well, that means all the kingdom, forgiveness, relationship, love. Well, that's nothing more, exci- that's nothing more than the exciting conversation on the table next door. Only without Jesus, we'll never be able to turn our chair around and enjoy the fun. Jesus says, you must be born again. Believe in me. Amen.